Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that could not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there is the possibility that we may spoil any anime series at any given time. So please use caution in case you are listening if there is a series that you haven't finished yet. And finally, the opinions expressed belong to those of the individual participants, and they do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. one and all and welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where on any normal day we would sit down and discuss the latest and greatest in English dubs. I'm Stephanie and today's episode is a little bit different. Back in November, a few of us attended Anime NYC in the Big Apple. We had such a blast attending and hopefully we'll get to go back in the future. But one of the biggest things we got to do at the con was we were given the opportunity to be a part of group interviews with some of its guests. The first of three you'll get to listen to today. Join Andrew and I as we rep Dub Talk along with the folks from the Boston Bastard Brigade, Japaninator, and Gadget's Vlogs as we sit down with one of my personal favorite human beings to interact with. You know him very well as the voice of Katsuki Bakugo from My Hero Academia, Connie Springer from Attack on Titan, and Keki Kiryu from Hensiki, and also as ADR director of Darling in the Franks and the recent Dr. Stone. That's right, we're talking to the one and only Clifford Chapin. Special thanks to Anime NYC for allowing us the opportunity to chat with Cliff. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This has been Stephanie, and until next time, otaku on, my friends. Oh, it's, okay. it's like, how do we do this without yeah. someone being the uh, moderator? <laughs> uh, we don't have to start the questions. Okay. Sure. okay, that works. So, you play characters such as Kaba from Gangable Super, mm-hmm. Kony from Attack on Titan, mm-hmm. and Bakugo from My Hero Academia. Mm-hmm. What is your process to play characters with vastly different personalities? Uh, I, every character is just their own person. And so I just try to go into each role and be as honest to that person. Um, you know, there's trying to understand who they are and where they come from is, is always key to understanding any character and, and portraying them accurately. Um, so, uh, but a lot of it comes down to understanding the direction that you're receiving, uh, receiving a lot of information from the director, um, letting them lead you and understand who this person is and taking the knowledge that they're giving you um, and uh, interpreting those scenes. Especially in dubbing anime, we, we preview the Japanese version first, and so we, we have essentially a stencil of what the character is going through uh, set forth, and so we just try to interpret that again into what sounds... Uh, normal or natural for an, an English audience. Thank you. Uh, second question. Okay, so you have voice back for over two years now. Mm-hmm. And being a loud and energetic character, how has that been for you? Uh, exhausting. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's definitely taken a toll on my voice. Uh, I find now my laugh is a lot wheezier. Uh, my natural laugh is a lot wheezier because of how much I've hurt my voice over the years of voicing him, but it's been... Um, almost revolutionary. Uh, Bakugo was a huge change in my career, game changer uh, in my career. Because um, right now you're on Netflix, right? Doing um, Evangelion. Yes, yeah. yes. My nem- the one who replaces my character, Asuka, and everything, right? Uh, when she powers down. Yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. yes. Um, but uh, 
it was it was just such a, a change because you know where where once Attack on Titan was probably my biggest role and people would come up to me for that all the time and ask questions about that. Now, now people come up to me and they go, oh, you, you're an Attack on Titan? And it's like, yeah, I, I, that was like my big thing a few years ago. Um, but it's just, it's just unbelievable. And now I have a whole bunch of, I have so many interactions with fans who are touched by My Hero Academia and, uh, and just some, I've had so many incredible experiences and, and interactions, uh, that were brought about because of Bakugo. Um, and whether people understand and appreciate Bakugo or whether people understand and don't appreciate Bakugo <laughs> uh, are, are two different things, but everybody always has. What about Cartaptus Sakura Clear? How's that been going? Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I hope there's more eventually. Because uh, I, I, I was like, anger. where yeah. are the rest of the episodes? Yeah, I, I would love for there to be more, but I, that, was, that was crazy too, because that was another, that was a legacy sort of character and and role to step That's into her that, brother. yeah, and and you know there have been so many interpretations of Toya and mm -hmm. different actors who have played him, and um, so just about here working off of Justin Breener again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Me and Brian are in very different roles. Yuki role, is like yeah, uh, that's one of my favorites. Portrayals besides Sakura and Kirito. <laughs> yeah, hero. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so um, Connie uh, is a character I actually admire greatly on Attack on Titan because he's kind of like the most optimistic of all the people on that show. I almost find he's the most human. He uh, is, a, yeah, yeah, most human. So, so how do you pull off that positivity throughout a show where you're seeing all these other characters either getting killed or eaten? Or <laughs> I think a lot of that came from the first season because uh, in the first season, when the auditions were held for that, I had only been working with Funimation for about uh, 10 months. Um, and so I was positive that I was not going to get cast in it because I, I was not a big name or anything like that. And, and everybody was talking about Attack on Titan. And uh, so when we started working on that show um, and I got cast as Connie, I, initially when I first was called in to work on the show at all, they didn't tell me who I was playing. So I thought I was just going to be somebody who died. And that's what I expected. And, and, and then I, when I got actually cast as, and was told, like, oh, you're playing Connie, I... Uh, I was never confident I wasn't going to get fired. Like, I was, I was so new um, that I was just, I was ready at any moment to be let go from the project. Like, ah, you know what? This really isn't working out. We're going to use, like, uh, Michael Solisad. You know, or like somebody, somebody who was very popular and prominent at the time um, and, and take over the role. And so I just never really felt confident that I was going to get to stay that way. So I, any time that I was in for the, for the show, I was just kind of like, Oh, I, I'm still here. <laughs> so I'm still, I'm still doing it. Yeah. I'm still Connie. So, yeah. Excellent. Uh, there's been a lot of questions and you're very prolific as an actor, but you are also a voice director for mm -hmm. anime and English films. Mm -hmm. So if I might ask a quick question, what are some of the biggest challenges you faced as a director as opposed to being an actor? Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges for me as a director was um, kind of learning to, to let go a little bit. Um, anime, anime dubs are so director-centric. Um, I, I personally feel like the quality of an English dub lives or dies by the director um, and how much the director cares to actually put in the effort to make sure that the reads are all telling the story and, and being informed and giving information. And, um, and, and when, when I first started directing, uh, with Funimation, there was a, 
a very specific standard to how things were done and, and we look at flaps this way and we, we worry about these things and there were all these like really rigid rules uh, regarding all these little minute details and I kind of realized at a certain point that I was like, you know, if I really fixate on these things to the point of beating them to death, I feel like we're inhibiting the performances. And I feel like the performances are the things that fans really connect with. And so I started like easing off a little bit on some of the minute perfection of like, well, this has to hit every flap exactly right to be more in the line of like, well, if this lands within a reasonable limit, nobody's going to notice if it's a little bit off. But if the performance is killer, fans are going to be like, that was a great performance. They're not going to be paying attention. Like, well, that last flap flapped three times, but that was a two-syllable word, <laughs> you know? And uh, You're talking like the old school. Right. And so and so, I kind of let go a little bit because I, I thought about the dubs that were were considered very good from when I was a kid. And if you watch those now, it's like, man, the flaps are all over the place. Like oh, yeah. they don't, mm -hmm. they don't look anywhere close to what we do now. So I, I kind of realized like if we back off a little bit, but still keep it tighter than it was in the old days and just worry really more about giving solid, strong, very well-informed performances, then we're going to deliver the best of every world. Yeah. And, yeah, and so that was, that was my, that was my biggest hurdle. I, I kind of overcame about, uh, a year and a half ago or two years ago. How much is ad-libbing so. done? How much is ad-libbing done? Pretty yeah. much never. No. No, we don't have the we don't have the room <laughs> for that sort of thing. Uh, and and you wouldn't want it to be especially because um, you know, we we want the dubs to be faithful and accurate to the original version. The purpose of an English dub is to make a show accessible to another audience but still deliver the same experience that the original provided. You so know, as, so. a, as a director, can I give an example of some other anime that was um, Please Teacher? If you go for the English sub versus the, the Japanese, and I put the subtitles on, mm -hmm. I can see where English sub sometimes has to be very PC'd around certain mm -hmm. things, yeah, especially that, that scene in the hotel. If you know what I'm talking about, I, kids, I haven't seen the series, but um, where they were drink, they were underage drinking okay, and everything. Yeah. So on the Japanese one, they tell that they're drinking and something happens, whereas mm -hmm. the other one, oh, I'm just so sleepy, not realizing they're drunk. Right. And everything. So does that happen a lot with all the ones you do and direct and everything? Um, it can. Because there, there are definitely differences in um, just in culture between Japan and America and, and you know, other English-speaking territories that uh, there are things that are considered politi politically correct or incorrect and, and whatnot that, you know, we we sometimes have to worry about maybe this is going to come across as offensive but but at the same time i feel like we're we're moving a little bit away from that um not to to make things maybe like less offensive but to recognize that like this is the story that it's trying to tell and and we have to find a way are, around it we're trying to be faithful and, and and accurate to it it's it's a um it's an odd dance and i don't have an answer for even it car captain sakura but, the original ones they couldn't show her grandfather because no one understood why the father let her alone with the old man. That's why it was never aired on certain TV channels and everything. Mm. Until you got the DVDs and you saw her in the original, it is her grandfather. You just it's like an underline mm. and everything because you don't know the whole story background until you get into the series. Gotcha. And then after that, you go, oh, wait, that is and everything. So it was okay for her to be alone with an older man and everything at the age she is. Right. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. 
some um, one of my favorite and surprisingly really good rom coms to say that you had a, a chance to play in was in Hensuki. Where you got to play Keiki. Yeah. And what I liked about the show, the character of Keiki, he's kind of like this young, non stoner version of Seth Rogen who's like very blunt with what's on his mind. Mm -hmm. So, can you tell me a little bit about some of the challenges when it came to like the more comedic and even the more emotional aspects of playing Keiki in Hensuki? I literally just finished Hensuki last week. I'm very excited. Oh, man. I think the biggest challenge of Hensuki was always trying to find another way to be funny. Um, because we, I, I always say, uh, talking about Hensky now, that, uh, Hensky is, I could almost make a demo reel just out of Hensky. Yeah. Just because, uh, we used my entire vocal range, uh, with like may, maybe the exception of like one or two voices is somewhere in Hensky where I'm just like doing these crazy dips and pitch and like come out of it. There's definitely one episode where I... I did what I call the Bakugo voice, and then, yeah. like, <laughs> no, like yeah. I started Bakugo voice and, like, ended in my normal voice in a sentence. I just, like, let it transition back, and, like, just all these crazy things. It was such a wild, wild ride, and, uh, uh, but, man, it was, it was funny. We, all the times that I just got to go, like, what, what, uh, it, like, Oddballs, like all these, <laughs> all these things. Oh my god! Do you ever just say oddballs now in your regular life? Now? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, and I've never said it as much as I have on that show. But, <laughs> would so. you, would you say you had a favorite female character that you interacted with, or someone you were hoping to be the Cinderella of that show? Um, man, it probably maybe Mao, maybe Mao, because Mao yes. was. Mal was the most, like, I hate to say it this way, but she was the most, like, normal. <laughs> like, she, was, she was, like, the most vanilla of all the girls, and, and all the other ones uh, frightened me. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, she knows. <laughs> she knows we're working on it. But, man, we, uh, we, we all just had these moments uh, of just, man, we, we cracked up a lot. I made Maddie Morris laugh a lot uh, with a bunch of lines that we we came up with and um yeah i, I love the style of you on the show because this that show and another show that aired like last year rascal does not dream of bunny girl senpai mm -hmm. both of those shows had this very judd apatow style of comedy mm. where uh keiki had was more like a seth rogan uh Sakutel was more like a paul rudd in mm -hmm. that show so that's what really drew me into hence is because it had that sort of familiar kind of comedy yeah we man i can't tell you how much time we spent on like urban thesaurus like trying to find new words for women's underwear <laughs> like a lot of those things where they call it like the taco wrapper and stuff <laughs> that's that was all stuff of us no. like looking through like long lists of things people mm -hmm. have said man it's the only show i've ever gotten to tell say to a girl like do you think i'm just trying to blue ball you <laughs> like, so yeah that was that was something <laughs> so was a ride speaking of craziness what about what the fans are doing now with my hero academia and putting you with um deku and everything like the the character like they're trying to put them together as a couple oh you mean like shipping yeah because oh, yeah. i actually had it at um halloween my i do a thing in my building one of the girls was dressed as Todoroki, and mm -hmm. she said who do you want to ship and I was like, I'm not going to go there yeah. and everything. But it seems that your two characters are always being put together. I mean, Bakugo gets shipped with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I, I get asked shipping questions all the time. And to yeah. be honest with you, the I I don't ship 
any characters from any show with any other characters ever mm -hmm. um, because I, as the actor, I have a, a duty to provide uh, an accurate portrayal of those characters in mm -hmm. the stories. And if I'm getting invested in the story, telling it a certain way, or like, well, man, I really want, you know, I really want Bakugo to end up with that person, <laughs> yeah. and then they don't end up with that person, then like that could affect my performance. And then so I'm kind of like, like it's, you, you can play it up, like play it down. Right, right. Because yeah. then I'm biased and I want, I'm like trying to read that into my performance, and yeah. that's not the story. You're playing that's being up, told. you're playing down depending on right. how you prepare and, for it. And so I don't. I don't know. Shipping shipping is a very fan centric thing, and yeah. it's cool that fans do it, but it's not a thing that it's I. It's called shipping, but you're in dangerous water. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so with Kava and Vegeta having like a, I guess like a student teacher father mm -hmm. some relationship, mm -hmm. uh, what is your relationship with Chris Sabat? <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty good. Uh, Sabat uh, Sabat's actually who got me sort of into this industry is uh, I met him um, several years ago now, uh, and. Uh, I gave him my demo, and it was so funny. I always, I always kind of tell the story this way, but he, he met me, and he's like, "Yeah, sure, uh, okay, kid, like whatever." And, uh, and then I went on my way, um, gave him my demo and my resume, and then, uh, I, and I even remember saying, like, I think I told my dad about it. Like, I, I met this guy. He's a voice director, and he owns his own studio, and, and everything. And I gave him my demo, and I'm like, ah, "But I'll, I'll be lucky if I." I uh, hear anything back in a week, and uh, and three hours later, I had an email from Chris Sabat that was like, "Hey, uh, sorry, I treated you like an asshole." And Sabat actually told me the story, but he never revealed who. Yeah, he was talking and so about. Uh, and so they listened to my demo, and uh, so that was like a Monday. By Friday, they had scheduled me for something uh, that they were recording at his studio, and. Uh, I went in and recorded that thing, and then so he spoke to me more one-on-one -on -one there, and then he passed on my information to Joel McDonald at Funimation. Um, Joel called me in for an audition. I booked the audition, and the rest was history. I've never gotten out of Funimation since. But um, so Sabbath's uh, Sabbath is in not in the same sort of way because, like, I don't I don't call Sabbath master, um, <laughs> but like Sabbath is sort of a weird mentor type figure in my uh, my career. Which is very funny for then like Kaba and Vegeta and then like Bakugo and All Might and mm -hmm. and uh, all those moments. So right. it's pretty funny. Just has kind of become your Sean Shimmel. Yes. <laughs> actually, actually, in my mind, have you done a lot of like? Because I know you do a lot of voice acting and stuff nowadays. Have you done a lot of like stage work or dramas? No. Mm -mm. No, I never did any. I, well, I mean, I did like in high school. I was in like Romeo and Juliet. Um, but otherwise, really, I, I ran tech and stuff when I was in high school. I was, uh, I was part of the sound team, uh, manipulating microphone volumes and stuff um, for all of our high school plays and, and whatnot. And then, uh, but I'd always wanted to be a film director growing up. And then when I was in college, I had this conversation with my dad. Uh, I was home for spring break or something. I was at home because I was not cool enough to go to like Cancun and uh and he was like you know I always thought it was weird that you wanted to be a film director when your whole life's been about cartoons and I was like ah oh, crap <laughs> and so I sort of adjusted my focus uh at the beginning pretty close to the beginning of college going to my second year and to focus on like voiceover and stuff as well um so but I never did any um 
any real stage to speak of or anything like that. So, so question for you then, because um, while many voice actors and directors, their background is in acting, in mm -hmm. theater, in radio, things like that, mm -hmm. and your background is production essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, how has a production background translated into a voice acting, directing role, and what have you been able to apply into that role from those experiences? Well, I think it. I think it plays in a lot to. It, it plays a lot into my directing style for anime because I. I am highly narrative focused. Um, I feel like a lot of the people who are they were actors first. They they worry a lot about um, little nuances of of that aspect of it and like who who are strong actors and who are this and and whatnot. And the there are other directors who come in that are they were like engineers and they, they will be really tight on like flaps and, and focus, uh, you know, a lot of technical aspects and, and, you know, and maybe that helps them in other ways. Cause that helps them know like, Oh, if we need to stretch this line or squish this line, we, it's going to be within an acceptable limit because they did that for so long. But my, my focus kind of, I obviously was a voice actor first, uh, but like I studied narrative, uh, film my whole life that comes into, I always look at the bigger picture. Like I read into a lot of things that like, what is this one line that this character saying mean in the greater, the greater scope? Like, um, just as a, a small aside, but like Darling in the Franks is a great example because, uh, Darling in the Franks is a show that people are always like, man, the ending came out of nowhere. And I was like, not if you paid attention because like <laughs> there were all these characters that spoke throughout the whole show, like Papa and all of those people in, in his group. They, whenever they spoke, they were definitely leading us to the ending of the show. And so I was always weaving these details, these little nuances into those characters' performances because I knew there was going to be something at the end of the show, even though I didn't know what it was at the time, right. that there was going to be something at the end of the show that this was all central to. And so, I don't know, I think, I think my production education makes me more of a bigger picture person. Okay. Um, so I, I guess that would be it. Um, but yeah. So the universe of My Hero Academia is practically as big as any Marvel or DC mm -hmm. universe, which could possibly lead to spinoffs somewhere down the line. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is, if your character of Bakugo mm -hmm. was ever given the opportunity to have his own spinoff series, mm -hmm. what would you like to see it be about? I would like it to be like, um, not in the same way, but like in the last few years, we saw this spinoff of Dragon Ball come out that was like that time I got reincarnated as Yamcha. Oh my god! Uh, and so I would love for Bakugo to have like a weird comedy spinoff that was like because uh, Bakugo's quirk is all about his sweat, right? Like it's all about his nitroglycerin like sweat. I think it would be really funny if for part of his professional hero agency thing, he had to do a bunch of promo commercials for like antiperspirant <laughs> like oh if he just had to yeah. do a bunch of ads for like old spice do you have explosive that's, stink that's what i want i want i want that spinoff like so, so just to clarify you care less about his shipping dynamics and more about how good he is at advertising yeah that's right deodorant. yeah totally <laughs> i mean could could there be any other character in the my hero universe currently that's more like terry cruz then, <gasps> then, like, God. just Bago. Power! You guys can like, you know, like, now? <laughs> <laughs> See, now I'm just imagining Bakugo Brooklyn Nine-Nine. See? There you <laughs> go. It writes there? itself, you guys. There I'm here. It is. There it is. So, there's a spin-off. I like this alternate universe. <laughs> Actually, a uh, quick question now that mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it. 
it, this can be either acting or directing. Mm -hmm. I know there every. I know when it comes to working in the booth, people have to describe a lot of different takes and mm -hmm. make certain emotions come out of the actor or performance. Whether as a director or an actor, has there ever been a vocal direction that has really stuck with you or one that you have given to an actor that you thought was very memorable? <laughs> you can uh, bonus points if you say for what show, what situation. The, oh man, it's hard to think of any for a specific instance where I was in the booth. Um, the, one, the, the, one that, the one that I've given... The one that I gave the most, like when working on Darling in the Franks, and I've started giving it on recent episodes of Doctor Stone, uh, has been break the hearts. Like that's what I'm always like saying is dig in, like to get an actor to dig into a moment. I'm like make this as emotional as possible. Break the hearts of the audience, you know. Um, so uh, break the hearts is the is the direction I give probably the most. Did you give um, that one to Kent a lot? I gave it to Kent uh, very recently for the Doctor Stone episodes. Uh, Tia got it a lot in Darling in the Franks. Um, uh, yeah, so, Gridman. Gridman, I'm trying to think if I gave it to anybody in Gridman. Gridman didn't really have those things. With, uh, with Gridman, we always made this joke, uh, Stephen Fu played Auntie and Ian Sinclair played, uh, Caliber, and they start, like, sparring and, like, trying to get, you know, Caliber's always trying to get Auntie to think outside of his own box, and, uh, but we used to do all these things, like, they'd be sparring and, and I'd be like, best friends! Like, you know, like, like these two characters. So, and Stephen Fu would start mimicking it too. He'd be like, best friends! Like, sparring in the fog! Like, you know, like, we'd just do all these things. But uh, that's probably the only one I can think of is break the hearts. That's what I say all the time. Oh, so. they just gave us the warning on it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, so, the question I like to ask voice actors, and this is a little thing called Three Character Island. And basically... If you find yourself stuck on a deserted island, mm -hmm. which three characters that you have played in the past would you like to have around you to keep you sane until your imminent rescue and why? Ooh, three characters that I played that I want to be around me. Uh, well, Kappa can fly, so let's go with Kappa, because <laughs> he'll get me off the island. Um, and, uh, man, I don't know. After that, I think it'd be really funny to have, like, Charles Gray from Black Butler and Bakugo. Just, because then Cabo and I would leave, and they would be stuck on the island just fighting. And and I think that'd be funny. If you're stuck on an island, it's going to be hot. Bakugo's basically just an He's just, right he's there. always explosive. <laughs> yeah, he's never is. not sweating. Um, so. What do you consider your greatest accomplishment that you've personally made in the industry? Oh, my God. I can't even... I can't even begin to guess. Uh, I mean, there's been so many now, so many great things that I've been very fortunate. Um, I was a huge fan of Evangelion as a, as a, a college student and, and teenager and stuff. And Which so version? To, to, well, I mean, I watched the ADV version uh, in college, and, and so to get to be a part of the Netflix version was uh, insane. And then I was a huge Dragon Ball fan as a kid, so being becoming Kava. Um, but, like, when I was in college, I went to college, and... Uh, in Long Island, so I used to come into New York to go to the Javits Center um, every year for New York Comic Con, and so like there's a weird, my mind's kind of bending a little bit right now that it's like, and now I'm here as a guest. Like yeah. <laughs> I've been in this convention center a million times, you know. So, um, so it was kind of so like how was that experience like from the yeah, I guess from the attendee to a guest? I, I, I don't even know. <laughs> like, this is the first thing I've done for the con. So, like, uh... You could just I, ask for a bottle of water and you don't have to pay $5. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> yes. Basically. I, I get my own bathroom, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go over here to go to a bathroom. But, like, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I can't even... There are moments I really can't even wrap my head around 
the the experience that and how fortunate I've been. Um, and I'm immensely, immensely grateful, and, and I do just feel fortunate all the time. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Did that answer your question? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say yes. We'll say yes. So, I mean, maybe this might be a final question. Um, out of everyone that you've played, who do you relate to the most? Oh my God, mm -hmm. uh, I, oh man, Colleen would never let me live it down, but I, it would probably be Bakugo. Um, Justin Cook and Colleen Klinkabeard, they always say that I'm just like Bakugo um, <laughs> at work and everything like that. Like uh, we got we got some news uh, at a about a show coming up or something or deadlines, whatever. And Justin Cook is, you know, he voices Kirishima, but he's like, my boss's boss's boss, um, <laughs> to give you a sense of the hierarchy. And he's like, hey, we got this, we got information about the, the deadline of this thing. And I go, when? And he goes, you know, other other directors would be like, oh, when? But you, he's like, there's your Bakugo personalities. When is it? Tell me when it is, and I will hit the deadline. You know, <laughs> so he's he's like, he see, there's there are these little elements of Bakugo that are very true to me, uh, though I would like to believe that I was never a bully growing up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. All right. Thank Thank you. You. Can I get the Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.